Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we all made it to Friday again. That's good news in and of itself. Glad you're with us. Your stool is ready. Good, bad, crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, let's uh, focus on the good. This story has been getting better and better and better which is kind of fun because it's supposed to be building back better, but it's actually a terrible piece of legislation. So the only thing getting better are the Republican odds of stopping this thing. Thanks entirely, really, to uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema actually realizing that the Democratic math doesn't work on this thing. There are certain provisions they don't like. They're not willing to kill the filibuster, but that wouldn't even apply to this legislation. They would only need 50 plus Harris. But uh, according to uh, a a lot of different reports here, Ed Morrissey at uh, Hot Air has compiled all this. The Democrats look like they're about to either uh, punt or compromise severely on two of their biggest priorities, Build Back Better being one of them. Uh, First of all, uh, Punchbowl reporting on the voting situation. And of course, they want to get their signature federalizing of elections legislation through. Uh, They're still letting people like Senator Warnock of Georgia, who's been a leading voice on this, saying that this is a civil rights issue and so forth, uh, talk about that. But they realize they're probably not going to get it. In fact, some Democrats have moved on to negotiate with Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, and others about reforming the Electoral Count Act, which would uh, mainly clarify the sort of ceremonial role of the vice president every four years on January 6th, instead of letting some people believe that the vice president has a lot of a, a power to to strike things down and so forth. And then on Build Back Better, uh, Manchin and Schumer, according to this, say that, uh, you know, they haven't even agreed on whether they're still talking about this legislation, Jim. So that's that's a good sign for us and a bad sign for the libs on this. Uh, but uh, it would also appear that uh, they're trying to send Bill Clinton, Oprah, and some other supposed moderates to change Joe Manchin's mind on the filibuster. Still no evidence that that's making any progress. So heading into the weekend, that's a pretty good pile of good news. Think about the kind of mentality at work where you're like, Joe Manchin has insisted he will not move on this, but will he say it to Oprah? (laughs) Yeah, I think he will. (laughs) The characterization of it, particularly on the voting rights legislation that you see in Punchbowl News, you know, I, it, there's a certain deliciousness to it because it, it, you know, pick your metaphor. It's Groundhog Day. It's Lucy and the football. And they say, like, look, um, you know, tra- Biden's going to go to Georgia, right? And so, you know, traveling to Georgia could give the impression that Democrats have a good chance of changing the Senate's rules and passing an election overhaul. And Punchball just comes out and says, they don't. They're making progressive activists think that they do, but it's a long shot at best. The most likely outcome in this gam- of this gambit is another few weeks of maniacal coverage of Mansion. By the way, isn't it nice to see a Capitol Hill reporter admit the coverage of Mansion is maniacal? Yes, it really has this been this tone of like, so Senator Mansion, have you changed your mind yet? No. Okay, well, since you gave that answer, have you changed your mind yet? <laughs> no. Okay, well, since that answer, have you changed it? No. You know, you go this endless cycle. The reporters hanging on his every will he or won't he. This is again. Quoting Punchbowl, reporters hanging on his every will he or won't he flinch. Here's a spoiler alert. He won't. He has said it countless times. boy, Punchbowl News. Thank you for coming out and observing this. And it's this very bizarre. And you, you point out the contrast. Uh, first of all, I think the, the Electoral Reform Act sense, you know, makes perfect sense to me. I would say Electoral Count Act, pardon me. Um, I, it doesn't make any sense that the vice president would have any substantial role in approving election ro- results in which he's defeated. Uh, the entire cockamamie theory that Mike Pence could have vetoed the election results and 
I don't know, the idea is he would have substituted election results he liked or what it was, it kind of never made much sense. But the way the, word, the, the law is written is a little vague and you want to clarify that, fine. And it sounds like there's a decent number of Republicans who are like, hey, you know what, Democrats, you've been screaming about uh, 2020. We saw what happened between Election Day 2020 and Inauguration Day 2021. We recognize there's some ambiguity in the law and we want to clear this up. This is this is our olive branch. This is what we're willing to work with you on. And Chuck Schumer said it was insulting. So here it is. Chuck Schumer has a chance to get an actual bipartisan you know, uh, accomplishment and he's tossing it away. Again, I can't help but suspect that Chuck Schumer really is afraid of having a primary challenger, and it's not good for a party if the majority leader is trying to protect his you know, left flank or, I guess, right flank in the case of Republicans. We'll see how this goes, but it looks like the Democrats are just trapped. Time is a flat circle, as they said in the first season of True Detective. They're going to go through this over and over again until the political dynamics change. Just fascinating how badly the Democrats have botched their efforts on the filibuster over time. First of all, you know, you go all the way back to Harry Reid wanting to kill the filibuster for all nominations except Supreme Court justices. And then Democrats being horrified that uh, that Republicans did the same for Supreme Court justices. Meanwhile, they blew their chance on the filibuster with Supreme Court justices uh, by by focusing on Neil Gorsuch, who they had no good case against. Not they would have had a good case against the others. But do you honestly think Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski would have voted to kill the Supreme Court filibuster on the Kavanaugh nomination? I don't. Uh, or maybe when it came to the uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who's a perfectly uh, qualified justice, but given the timing of it, uh, I mean, Susan Collins opposed the nomination entirely. They could have probably kept that filibuster in place if they had just been patient, but instead they uh, totally blew it. And now they're just uh, harassing Mansion and Cinema, no matter where they are, no matter where they're going all day long, and it's doing them no good. I cannot imagine a less effective approach to a policy uh, over the last several years than the Democrats have had on the filibuster. Greg, I just, I don't want to move on to the next topic, but just one last thought. So every once in a while, you'll see a, um, you know, Amy Klobuchar or Mark Warner, certain Senate Democrats who go back and say, yeah, you know, maybe we shouldn't have gotten rid of the filibuster for judicial nominations under Harry Reid. That, that really blew up in our face when the Democrats did the same, when the Republicans did the same thing for Supreme Court nominations. And, you know, you and I will, 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 will look at that, we'll kind of chuckle, we'll say, oh, now they, re- oh, it's the consequences of my actions. I never expected to find you here, you know. Um, <laughs> and yet there's a part of it's like, so one, like then Warner and, and Klobuchar, like, like that, those, you know, moments of, of regret, those moments of, oh, wait, we, we really didn't think this through and this backfired on us clearly never gets much traction with their Senate colleagues. And in fact, I believe they're both on board with the idea of getting rid of the filibuster for, but just for civil rights legislation, just for election reform. That's the, this is the only time we're going to get rid of the filibuster. Wink, wink. Well, I really believe in the filibuster as being an important part of our, our system of government when I'm in the minority. But the moment I'm in the majority, it's a Jim Crow relic and a threat to all that is good and holy in this world. You know, it, it, like they, they turn on a dime and nobody's ever paid any kind of a price for turning on a dime. Um, and I think that's car, you know, part of it. Like in the end, you know, it's all a giant, you know, uh, ludicrous kabuki theater, you know, uh, uh, situational ethics. And everybody's OK with that. And it's not the way I like it. But if we, you know, you think there'd be some sort of price to it. And if, if we really thought it was bad and in the end, we don't. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. We have to do this. Oh, in retrospect, it was a mistake. And that was a good idea again. So that's that's where we are. All right. Well, if you're dizzy and exhausted from all the uh, spin based on who has majority of the U.S. Senate in terms of where we are in the filibuster, uh, I can't blame you. But you might need a nap just to clear your head. Uh, My pillow. 
fantastic pillows. Just thinking last night as I drifted off to sleep uh, how much I enjoy my pillow. And I was sleeping on the Giza Dream Sheets. How, how much better can you get than that? Plus, if you want to get a great deal on uh, my pillow products, now is a perfect time to do it. And you'll also want to know that you can actually get them. They're in stock. No back orders, no delayed shipping for any MyPillow products. The MyPillow is made 100% right here in the United States. And they've built up a huge inventory to ensure their customers get what they need when they need it. And MyPillow has full stock on all items on their website. Everything from the MyPillows at their lowest price ever, to the sheets, to the slippers, to the robes, and now the cardigans. MyPillow is your one-stop shop where you can shop with confidence. And all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year limited warranty. Absolutely. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener special for specials like buy one, get one on the Giza Dream Sheets or the lowest price ever on the MyPillow premiums, but only when you use our promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Don't miss the sale of the year. MyPillow.com promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, it is the first Friday in a new month. That means we have jobs numbers for the month of December from the Department of Labor. And yet again, they are well below expectations. Non-farm payrolls rose by 199,000 in December, which is far lower than the 422,000 estimate. However, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.9%, which is a good number, and better than the 4.1% estimate, but the labor participation rate did not change. So given that it came in well under expectations, I'm curious to see the explanation for that. Wages, though, did increase more than expected, rising 4.7% year over year, but of course, that's not keeping up with inflation. So, Jim, this is once again a disappointment, although positive job growth is obviously better than negative job growth, but uh, we're not seeing what we expected. There are still millions upon millions of jobs available out there that are not getting filled, which is harmful to the economy. And oh yeah, the next few weeks at least, we're going to probably see businesses struggling with, uh, with staffing again due to Omicron. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, people might be thinking, wait, is, is this podcast a replay? One of their greatest hits or something? Because it feels like this is the same reaction to the jobs report over and over again. Um, yeah. Look, is it good that the, the uh, look, when you see the, the unemployment rate percentage go down, but they keep saying, oof, what a miss in the job creations. You should be looking at that labor participation rate. And unsurprisingly, no, it did not go up. And it's not, look, is it, you know, we have a huge amount of job openings in the country. In fact, we have a labor shortage. You want to get people off the sidelines and into their jobs. Now, some people are having a tough time getting back into the workplace uh, because they have disruptions to their school schedules. But we wouldn't know about that. Now, would we, Greg? Um, <laughs> and you, obviously, with the uh, COVID closures and stuff like that, some people are worried about going back to work and catching COVID. Um, you know, there are other factors going on at work here, but in the end, this is, you know, for the low unemployment rate is actually kind of illusory, something of an illusion. I think it kind of might make you think, oh, we're close to full employment again. And obviously, uh, we have a huge number of, of job openings. That's good news, but we're not actually getting people who have dropped out of the workforce during the pandemic. They're very slowly getting back in there. Um, and the other thing, which I kind of, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a great number for this month, I for, for this past month. I think the numbers for January are going to be really bad because as we've been talking all week, the Omicron variant is here. It is flourishing. I added up the numbers from Monday to Thursday. We had 3.3 million new cases in the country. And remember, not everybody reports when they test positive if they're doing one of those at home tests. So the numbers are probably even more, even higher than that. 
obviously people who are uh, staying ho- who are sick are staying home. Uh, that means they're not going to buy as much. Uh, there are a couple of workplaces and schools that are saying they're shutting down because they you know, don't have enough staff. Uh, we had a labor shortage to begin with. Now what happens when a significant number of your employees are homesick? Remember, the CDC says you should be you know, staying home, isolating or minimizing your contact for five days, starting counting the day after you test positive or develop symptoms. So in my book, that's really closer to six. Um, you add all that up, that's going to have a lot of people out sick. And I don't see that being good for our uh, uh, the unemployment numbers for this coming month. I think it might be another six weeks before the Omicron variant wave passes through the country. And I just don't think any of that's going to be good for our economy. Disappointing numbers for December. I wouldn't get my hopes up for January. And I'm not sure February is going to look all that great either, but we'll see how things go. Biden keeps talking about how awesome the economy is, yet we still have to do all this stuff to to make it better. Yet the numbers just don't bear that out in terms of where we are or where he wants to go. And so once again, Biden and reality not on the same page. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now and talk about reruns and headlines. You know, one of the things that uh, really broke Early on in the pandemic, late March, I think, of 2020, just a couple of weeks into the uh, the shutdown, and certainly as time went on, was the horrific decision of Andrew Cuomo in New York, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, Tom Wolf, Pennsylvania, and Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, that once uh, COVID patients uh, were well enough that they really didn't need to stay in the hospital, they needed to go somewhere else. And so all of those states and all of those governors ordered COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes which shockingly infected a lot of other nursing home patients who, of course, are among the most vulnerable of the population, and a lot of them died. It's, by our estimation, the biggest scandal of the Cuomo administration, although that's not what ultimately forced him from office. But you would think, Jim, that other governors have learned not a good policy. Well, nearly two years later, Ned Lamont and his team in Connecticut have decided, you know what, that's what needs to happen. Uh, Hartford Current, nursing homes are being asked to accept COVID-positive admissions from hospitals, according to a new guidance from the Department of Public Health, even as positivity rates within nursing homes are increasing sharply. The latest guidance from the DPH is an indication that the state is trying to alleviate the growing crush of COVID-19 cases in hospitals as they near record numbers of patients. And so, Jim, you know, we don't necessarily have USS Comfort off the coast of Connecticut, like it was off the coast of New York City in the early days of the pandemics. But uh, other facilities could be arranged, certainly. I know one argument will be, well, these other nursing home patients, they've had a chance to get the jab and so forth, so they're not as much of a risk now. It's still a disastrous idea. It's probably going to get a lot of people sick. It's probably going to get a sizable number of people killed. And uh, once again, you've got a deep blue state who's learned nothing. Yeah, like, you're right. It's not an exact parallel. Thankfully, we have the vaccines, we have boosters. And if you're in a nursing home or you're in a uh, assisted living facility, yeah, you probably should have gotten vaccinated a long time ago. You probably should have been first in line for getting boosters. Um, so uh, you know, are, are they more protected? Yes. But as I lay out in today's morning jolt, you go to hospitals and say, what percentage of your people have, or at least, at least have at least one shot? Some of them who are in the hospital for COVID-19. But the numbers you're getting anywhere from 10% to some places up to 30, 35%. We shouldn't be all that surprised by this, that as more people get vaccinated, the number of people who are going to get sick enough to end up in the hospital are going to be, you know, as you have fewer and fewer people who are unvaccinated, you're going to end up with a, that percentage is going to get up higher and higher. That said, if you're elderly, and if you're elderly and, you know, you got one of those comorbidities, if you've got high blood pressure, or if you've got 
diabetes, if you're overweight or obese, if you have some other thing that's got you immunocompromised, I really don't want you, you want to minimize the risk of you catching Omicron. Yes, Omicron is milder. Most people, it's not going to be nearly as big a deal, but the kinds of people who are in nursing homes are probably the kind of people who are most vulnerable to this sort of thing. So I don't understand why the state of Connecticut would be doing this. It's as if they learned nothing. Um, look, maybe this doesn't, you know, like, I, I hope everyone running these nursing homes uh, is doing everything properly and they're, they're you know, using all the proper uh, precautions and all that stuff. But this really feels like an unnecessary risk considering what we know. Um, so that's saying, you know, history repeats itself. First is tragedy, something is comedy. Well, this, this is not, there's nothing funny about this. Hopefully it won't be as bad, but it just seems like an utterly unnecessary risk. You figure everybody was going to, like, look at the example of Colin Powell, right? You know, he was vaccinated. I don't know if, I don't believe he was boosted. Um, he was fighting a form of blood cancer. And between age and the other issues he was having, he succumbed to COVID-19. That's, the, you know, these are the kind of people we have to protect more. And it looks like the state of Connecticut, thinking it knows better, is going in a completely different direction. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think right up there with kids, old people have suffered the most. I mean, you think about, first of all, the horrific decisions in those four states, now five states, uh, on this particular policy. But think about also the restrictions on people not being able to visit their own parents, looking through windows while their parents or grandparents or whoever were taking their final breaths dying alone for the weeks on end uh, with with nobody that you love being able to hold your hand or, or talk to you. It's just absolutely disgraceful. And uh, for this to be happening again in uh, in Connecticut is, is absolutely outrageous. Uh, Jim, the only thing I can ask is, where's Joe Lieberman? Does he feel like running for governor next year or this year? <laughs> speaking, speaking of elderly people who should stay away from the Omicron variant. <laughs> we love Joe Lieberman. In fact, I think he wrote an op-ed in the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, I want to say about a week ago or so, where he said Iran and Russia were the greatest threats on the geopolitical scene. And I don't completely disagree with that. I do think that there's a big country in Asia that probably belongs somewhere in the mix. But uh, hey, glad to see Joe Lieberman is still around and kicking, still worth listening to. And uh, hey, uh, Connecticut Republicans, you know, keep looking. Yes, hopefully there can be some competitive Republican up there. Uh, for those who don't remember, Ned Lamont ran against uh, Jill Lieberman in 2006, entirely on the fact that Lieberman supported the war in Iraq, won the Democratic primary, but in Connecticut, after you lose a primary, at least then, I don't know if you still can, you could run as an independent, which Lieberman did, and he, he won the Senate race. And as far as I know, he's the only person that can beat Ned Lamont. So unless the Republicans can find someone good, uh, Connecticut uh, could be in for another rough four years. But uh, time to head into the weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell some friends about us as well. We are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. And join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.